Today on Oxl FM, Gelada and I talk about the games that help define the genre of MMORPGs. Hello and welcome to the episode of Optal FM. I'm Saffron. And I'm Gelada. And we're back today with uh, another one of our, our Games That Define episodes. Hmm. Uh, we did one already. Uh, we've done Games That Define uh, RTSs, which we really enjoyed doing. That was a real stroll hmm. down memory lane for us. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like we had a really good discussion about the state of the, the genre as well and sort of hmm. how it came to as it was. And I, I feel like from our notes, we've done a, a similar thing here with this hmm. one, which is discussing MMOs, right? Yes, exactly. And specifically MMORPGs, I guess we're talking about here. So, mm, and, and that actually leads into the sort of the, the end of the episode. So we'll, yes. we'll, we'll keep that one on lockdown for now. Oh, yeah, we will. Please don't use the word lockdown. It's too triggering. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like we want to talk about games that we feel kind of define the MMORPG mm. genre. So that's, if you don't know, massively multiplayer online role-playing games, which is the longest acronym and genre <laughs> in video games ever it's ridiculous which is kind of interesting as well because in some instances these games aren't even massively multiplayer online no. some of them are actually just online multiplayer games yes but that yes. sort of moniker of mmo sort of stuck and was sort of used to define any online game where you interacted with multiple different people kind of concurrently with your gameplay mm. rather than a specific search situations so like you wouldn't call say for example call of duty on an mmo because you would go into a match for example to play mm. a round of first person shooter whereas right. like in these games typically you will be in a world that is populated with other real-time players all the time or at least most of the time yeah there's a lot of common things that we see in mmos and we'll sort of touch up as we talk through them we'll sort of talk about maybe where they've come from as well but like you say like it's about multiple players being in the same world like they can all you can see each other you mm-hmm. know everyone has an avatar um that kind of represents them in this world and yeah like you're you're all interacting in the same place together almost always have um non-playable characters as well yeah um, except sort of like- some like very weird edge case ones where everyone is a you know like there are no npcs and it's all players um, mm. but there's not very many of those the social element is also super strong right compared to like your example of call of duty right um the social aspect of mmos is a is a really core part you know being able to chat with people specifically within the game itself as well exactly lots of online games be fps be rts whatever have online communities yeah and like ways to message people and stuff like that yeah messaging services and they'll have like forums and wikis and and nowadays you have things like discords and reddits and stuff Mm. like that but the mmos themselves you can interact be it through chat and more modernly through voice chat with the people in the game in real time you know rather than having to like you know go to a specific location on the internet to do that exactly exactly a lot of mmos have like one common theme is you know you collect a lot of things and maybe Mm. you craft them or you sell them like that's a really sort of common theme as well um they're often very grindy for that reason as well yes and that's usually to 
elongate the length of a game to justify right. the both the ongoing cost of it which most mmos less so nowadays though but still many mm. of them have monthly subscription costs yes uh in some form or another and that's another way to kind of justify you continuously spending money on a game is to make right. you feel like you're making progress even though really all you're doing is getting numbers higher exactly exactly and that's an interesting point is that these games don't have to have um, subscriptions you're absolutely right but they often do and one of the reasons and we'll talk about this as we go through is that they are very complicated right mm. mmos are a really complicated game to make and and actually it was quite it was relatively easy for us to put this list together because there isn't really that many mmos like it's one of the it's probably one of the smallest genres you know sort of broad genres in mm. gaming because it's really really difficult to get right it's very expensive and technically complicated to make an mmo and typically what happens is that when someone does get it right a million people copy that idea over and over mm. again so which is why the games that we've chosen although are unique in their own way or maybe have some crossover with some other games they are the ones that define the way in which mmos were considered at the time of their release right exactly uh and we're not really going to talk about some of the precursors to what we consider now to be an MMO, like all of those things that we just described um, put together, make up all of the games that we're going to talk about. But actually there is sort of a precursor to MMOs, which is relevant to the first game we're going to talk about. And that's MUDs, right? Mm. Multi-user dungeons, which unless you're old like us, you have no <laughs> even idea. Then, even you have no then. idea. Yeah, even for us. They're like old they were on the us, periphery right? even for us. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And a multi-user dungeon, like that's an acronym that comes from bef- kind of before the acronym MMORPG was, oh, yeah, yeah. was invented, which I think... I think Ultima Online was the first in in like the late nineties was the first um, game to be called an MMORPG. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But multi-user dungeons were these text-based games where you could typically you would dial up the 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 mud right. They would be on like a bulletin board system. Mm-hmm. You would fo- you would call up the mud, and you would be able to type. Uh, commands kind of like interactive fiction style like go west go east yeah, yeah. Uh, you know use this talk to this person and other people would be playing in the same in the same mud as you so they would also be interacting with npcs or you or enemies and things like that and that's sort of a precursor we're not going to talk about those kinds of like really early mmorpgs but the first one on our list is runescape mm. and runescape was originally called or like the game in inverted commas that that became runescape was called devious mud yeah uh, it was actually in the title uh and it was made i think it was made by one person uh and it like originally devious mud came out in 1998 mm-hmm. so that's kind of where our story of mmos begins and, and you got to think the reason for that really simple style of interaction and gameplay was often down to the technical limitations i mean imagine what the internet was like in 1998 like exactly like you you already said the word dial up and that's exactly what it is you would have to dial up to these servers directly you know you know just like with old school bulletin board services you know it wasn't even you you, like you had the ability to connect to like a a persistent online server just from a from a service that you would connect to over the internet you know this was a very deliberate thing you had to do So things like RuneScape sort of started to move away from that and started to become what we think of as like online games that we know of now. Exactly. And the other thing about the sort of like late 90s is that 
we're really only at the start of the point where kind of like everyone has a PC yes, and everyone yeah. has some kind of internet connection, usually bad, usually expensive. But, you know, we've, we're starting to move away from the siloed world of, you know, CompuServe and AOL and these like internet service providers where you could only access their, their stuff, services. Yeah. And moving more to what, like, this is now like general internet, but still quite restricted. And a lot of people actually, you know, you would use the internet more at school or in mm. the library or something mm. like that. And well, that's how we got our start for the most part as well. Exactly. And that's why RuneScape is on this list, because what is really interesting about RuneScape is that it was it was written in Java, which mm. is a programming language. And what's interesting about it is that Java was almost always available on a computer and if you accessed a website at the time there was the, there was the facility for your web browser like netscape or, or internet explorer mm-hmm. or whatever to run java applications from the internet mm-hmm. at, without installing them without actually like installing a program on your computer Which they could 1998 run. is pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah it's actually kind of interesting like this kind of style has largely fallen away now um, and because web technologies are good enough that you could do all of these things on the web. And in fact, yeah. I think the current version of RuneScape just runs with like HTML5 and JavaScript. I don't yeah. think it uses Java anymore. But this was interesting because it had no download requirement. You didn't need to go and buy a copy of RuneScape. You didn't. You could play it on any computer that had the internet and you could log in with your account and pick up where you left off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was also, it looked terrible uh and it was and it could be played on anything because the you know it was so bad like from a graphical point of view from a game point of view it wasn't particularly a good game no Um, it wasn't if you picked this up as like a solo (laughs) (laughs) if you put this up like a solo 40 pound buy for a pc you'd probably be a bit disappointed because like in this sort of time period you had games like Baldur's gate right yeah who who, games it was a similar style like top-down style rpg and it was just infinitely superior to RuneScape in terms of its gameplay, but that's not yep. what made it special. What made it special is what you've described of you being able to just kind of log in from any PC on yep. any internet connection and pick up where you left off and yep. your friends could do exactly the same thing. Exactly. And it was very it was very open. It was very sandbox. You know, there weren't really quests or, or you know, anything like that. It was really just about kind of like running around, killing things and and sort of collecting items and, and loot and stuff like that. You've got to think this uh, was also the very early days of instant messaging services as well, yep. like um, yeah. ICQ and AOL and yeah, yeah. very early days of MSN, where... A large part of people's time spent online was just simply chatting with friends because of the novelty of that. Mm. So this allowed you to do that whilst also playing a game. Right, exactly. And it's an important one. You know, it's still a thing. There's been multiple kind of sequels and reimaginings and reworkings, but actually old school RuneScape, which is literally what it's called, which is hilarious, (laughs) um, is is like twice as popular as the current version of of RuneScape. Uh, (laughs) You know, this it still has like... 80,000 people playing it, you know, at any one time and stuff like that. It's, it's, and obviously that's nostalgia, but nostalgia is a big part of it. But it just shows that that, it shows that that simplistic style of gameplay within a social environment is, is basically the bread and butter Mm. for an MMO. Right. If you can get that right, the rest of the game can be pretty rubbish and still be fun to play, you know. And speaking of games that I guess are maybe pretty rubbish, inverted commas, but if you get the social element right, then they're good. Um, I guess the next game on the list. It's brave of you to say. (laughs) It's very brave. (laughs) Because you have a very, like, sort of personal 
uh, game that you that you've you've kind of slipped in here, right? And that's Ragnarok Online. Mm. So so for me, I, I genuinely believe that RO maybe doesn't necessarily define MMOs in one particular way, but I feel like it is very much the the culmination of what MMOs were at that point. Yes. Like, I feel like it takes a lot of what RuneScape was and makes it into more of an interesting, enjoyable game. Agreed. It was its own standalone client, so you had to download a program, but yeah. it was very low spec, so it was still yes. very easily accessible for a lot of people, which was a big part of this, because with the upfront costs of developing MMOs, like you've said, you want to make sure that enough people can play them so you can monetize this game and make your money back mm, in the first mm. place. So so having a particularly demanding game was usually not a good thing for these styles of games. Yep. And it had that... It was the first sort of look into the Asian side of gameplay for a lot of people in the West for us. So yeah. this was a Korean-developed MMO. And, and in Korea, like MMOs have been a, a thing ever since, sort of RO and even sort of games like Maple Story as well. Yeah, um, you had Tibia as well, which I think Tibia, was the first yeah. one maybe. Um, All these which, games were yeah. hugely popular in, in South Korea um, yes. and Asia as a whole, um, to the point where even like their governments had to get involved to like, you know, mm. limit how much people could play. Yeah. So I felt like even though necessarily in terms of its kind of gameplay, what it did, it didn't necessarily do any one thing particularly new. I feel like just the fact that it was just this sort of like zenith of the games that represented MMOs at the time and the fact that it had such a personal connection for me, just I wanted to talk about it in that sense too. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really at the time, it's sort of like, you know, early two thousands and the late nineties where you had this, um, there was a big kind of split and differentiation between sort of Western um, MMORPGs and Eastern ones, because mm. you also had things like uh, Lineage from NCSoft, which mm-hmm. is late nineties, and that was basically a, a competitor to Ultima Online, mm-hmm. which was massive uh, late nineties, and that was Western. So you, you know, you really, you almost had this kind of like for like. In some ways, RuneScape Ragnarok Online is sort of similar. Um, I find like there's almost a similar sort of parallel between like. Uh, Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest versus things like uh, Neverwinter Nights and Baldur's Gate, right? Exactly, yeah, 100%. Very, it's like very that similar. D&D style gameplay from the West and that more sort of like RPG classic JRPG feel of the yes. East. Yeah, uh, exactly. And that, that exactly. is sort of represented in these MMOs as well. And Ragnarok Online was, it was like a top-down one, much like RuneScape was. So it, it was interesting how it was in its own 3D world, but they decided to utilise really nice very pretty very detailed 2d sprites yeah to animate the characters and the monsters so even though you were running on, on a pretty low spec machine it still looked quite nice you yeah know, it was still a pretty looking game and and even now like if you look at it even today you can still appreciate some of like the the design choices like mm. it still looks quite nice although one of the limitations was that they sometimes forgot that people were running on very low-end machines as a result some of the special effects and like the the like attack animations and stuff were maybe a little bit too flashy yeah which is certainly a limitation of the game as well but i think one of the things that i want to talk about the most was the fact that the game was weirdly janky even back when i played it with with, you know Mm. with this with with the rose tinted glasses on i can appreciate that the game was kind of janky in the the single player experience of like fighting monsters was relatively seamless but it didn't have a way of, say, organizing raids against large, what we call MVPs, the boss monsters. So you sort of had to do that all ad hoc, as it were, within the guild system within the game or party systems in the game. And there was no way of, like, arranging, 
like events and stuff like that. There was no way like for searching for groups and there was no way to... The organization was very, very difficult within the game. You know, mm. it felt like a very bare bones game in terms of the social elements of things, which is ironic considering how we, we said it was such an important element for MMOs. But I feel like the game, the gameplay itself was so fun and gratifying to do that you sort of like pushed through it. Mm. And it felt very much like if you want to just play it on your own and grind through, because it was a grindy game, very, very grindy, it was enjoyable. But the fun came from working together with people to try and like make the most out of it from a community sense. Mm. And some of the PvP stuff was was just like that as well. Like there was a lot of like out of game discussion to try and mm. make the PvP work effectively. But yeah. that almost for me brewed more sense of community and more sense of belonging within the people that you played with in this game i think part of the reason as well why a lot of mmos at the time had a lot of flaws right they had either maybe it was like that they weren't particularly well balanced so there were kind of exploits in them or just sort of like weird things about them you know like whether it was like the fact that the pvp meant that you could get killed really easily or mm. it was that you could steal people's loot or you know all of that kind of stuff like like sort of weird kind of like the fact that you've got all of these people and they find ways to kind of like disrupt the game or like mm. do certain things it was really the time for that you know it was the same with things like everquest which is around the, the same kind of time and runescape as well like like we're really at that and i think part of the reason why that is is because even something relatively simple like ragnarok i'm sure was still complicated to make right mm. and like maintain and manage and look after uh, and so that's why you you would see all of these flaws compared to a single player game where you don't have thousands of people testing the limits of it all the yeah, time. Always pushing the boundaries public, of what you can you know? break. In, yeah, exactly. Right. It's um, like, you know, maybe you find a glitch in GoldenEye, but no one else does, you know, and, and things like that. Whereas these are very, very complicated games. And once one sort of glitch or exploit becomes known, people start using it on, on mass right. and it becomes exactly. a real problem. One of the the things that's very obvious about that is Ragnarok has a very active private server player yes. base. Yeah. Um, I mean, ever since even back in the day when, you know, it was played sort of like in the early 2000s, people were playing on private servers. Mm. But now, like, that's pretty much the main way to play the game for the most part. Mm. There are, like, official servers, but it's changed so many times now. But there are so many private servers you can play. It's it's, it's just like, you know, pick your, pick your poison. Yeah. But they all have so many different elements to them. They, they tweak so many aspects of things, like, and they allow certain things, they disallow certain things. So different player groups obviously accept or, or aren't willing to accept certain jankiness of the game. Mm. So, for example, you even used a, a really good one there is people be able to, like, steal people's loot, for example. Yeah. Um, like, in the base game, there was, a like, a five or ten second cooldown where no one else could pick up a particular item off the ground that a monster had dropped that you'd killed. Mm. But in like private service, in some instances, you wouldn't be able to pick it up ever. Or in some instances, you'd be able to pick it up straight away. Yeah. And some of them would allow you to have auto pickup so that if you walk near it, your character would automatically collect it into their inventory without you having right. to click on it. And so these sorts of things are all aspects of the game that different people have different preferences on. Mm. And these private servers allow you to experience that as well. Yeah. And it's interesting. I don't want to go into too much detail about sort of the concept of private servers in the in, in this genre, but it's interesting because they influenced um, Blizzard to make World of Warcraft classic. Right? Mm. And, and the fact that there were these kind of private servers, which actually Blizzard shut down um, because they were preparing WoW classic, um, which I think is kind of interesting, like. It, yeah it's it's almost maybe a topic for another time of this mm. sort of like 
the nostalgia factor you know why do people still play old school runescape why is wow classic kind of more popular than retail wow you know why did people make private servers for sort of like older versions of wow you know all of this kind of stuff there's lots of mmos that are still alive through their community Mm. you know getting a copy of the source code and bringing the servers online you know and it's just i think it is about that social aspect primarily but it's still Mm. an interesting topic nonetheless one game that's never managed to get private servers, though, for pretty good reason, yeah. um, is EVE Online. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another game which very much defines the MMO genre as we think of it, because it in itself is its own genre almost mm-hmm. as well. Like, it's it's very distinct from the rest of these. And the reason that it's so unique in that it's never had private servers is because the way in which it's run is probably, like, written to only work with the specific hardware that CCP use. <laughs> yes. Because it's yeah. probably like a, the most verbose and difficult thing to manage in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The crazy thing about EVE Online that is that everyone is on the same server. There's really no instancing. Um, everyone is is sort of interacting with the same environments. And a lot of it is also completely player driven. You know, the economy and, and like buying and selling things is all player driven or mo- almost all player driven. Um, and it's really interesting to think that EVE Online came out before World of Warcraft, right? Yeah. It's 2003 yeah, yeah. and it's still going today, just like World of Warcraft. And it really is one of the few MMOs that has been consistently very popular. Yeah, you know, this, it's never it, waned really. But despite the fact that it's been out for, you know, 17 years and it's, uh, unlike, so w- what's also interesting is, um, going back a second to the games that we've talked about so far and also going back further in history of MMOs, most successful MMOs were fantasy-based, mm. right? There was a lot of D&D influence, a lot of, like, Korean mythology influence and uh, and that kind of thing. Um, and EVE Online was, was sci-fi, right? It's mm. like, a, it's a space game. Uh, and it wasn't the first to do it. In fact, one of the, I think, the first MMO that I played or one of the first mmos that i played was earth and beyond mm. which was a also a, a sci-fi um mmo but it was interesting you could only have one ship and your ship was kind of your character it was yeah. it was very it, it did a lot of weird things it, it didn't wasn't really that successful in the end um i actually found out something interesting while i was doing some research on eve online which is that when earth and beyond was was winding down ccp games the people that make eve online offered people coming from earth and beyond a no obligation free trial <laughs> and a volunteer would walk you through the game that's so like cool. they had like this like specific process for people coming from <laughs> earth and beyond and joining eve which i just i don't know really interesting like slice of history i just i just love of, that like, they were world. like well the only other space mmo is just gone which means that all those players are going to want another right. space mmo game come and play yeah. ours <laughs> exactly exactly um and yeah like it's really interesting and there's a lot of again almost a topic for another time but the all of the kind of stuff around eve and, and the politics of eve and and the you know everything is very player driven and it's very sandboxy so you know all of the wars that happen and the and the battles and the factions mm. and the and the you know all of these businesses and organizations and it's all real you know yeah it's all, it's all real player people. driven yeah there's like espionage and it's and it's player driven espionage it's like stuff it's that really, like novels yeah. are legitimately written around like yeah non-fiction novels yeah <laughs> just it's really been fictionalized you know um like the wars between all the different alliances and the backstabbing that that, that kind of cause them and stuff like that 
has been written into into fiction because yeah. they're so wonderfully intricate and, and interesting it's the old idea of like truth is stranger than fiction sort of thing and in this mm. instance that is definitely true if you give enough players enough time and enough resources enough freedom to do what they want to do they're inevitably going to go with water with, with one another you know yeah. um and this is this is very much the case for even and, and they know that as well like the ccp the 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 developers who make the game they know this and this is that their primary marketing element as well mm. as like make your own destiny sort of thing go and do what you want to do and oftentimes in mmos they'll say this and it's within reason mm. <laughs> you know yeah. um you know you can go and get like that super cool sword and you can go and slay that cool monster but in eve you genuinely do make a difference to the the, the universe in which you inhabit and yeah. the players in which you interact with uh, and you can really make a huge difference to the gameplay i mean just even at a time of recording it's not been so long ago only like a month or two ago that there was an enormous war between two huge factions a uh, player factions mind you completely player driven from the get-go which has completely destroyed the servers you know yeah. and they, they can't technically even get them to work properly let alone from like a, a the the fallout from within the gameplay element of things so mm-hmm. you know this is stuff that like players have such a huge impact on the game and and that's one of the things that makes this game define the, the mmo genre is like the ability for players to define what makes their game their game yeah. and what other people are going to experience when they play their game and i think they've done a really good job of making it so that you can join in as sort of like a newbie and because you're so small it's like a small fry that you're not going to be bothered by any of the Mm. the large gameplay elements of things until you're ready for them most of the time Um, but when you are ready for it you are thrown into this world of like like you say corporate espionage and walls Mm. and backstabbing and economic trading and, and you know and one of the other things which I think is so fascinating is how they've sort of, in a really successful way, tied in-game currency to real-world money. Yes. Yeah, it's like when you when you read about these wars that have happened, there's actually like a real-world value to the ships that were lost, and it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because mm. <laughs> the way in which the, their, their in-game currency of, of Plex mm. is then translated between US dollars and the kind of fictional in-game currency of mm. ISK. Mm. Yeah, uh, sort of like a go-between almost. So yeah, yeah that, that's so interesting to think about how the, there's this real-world effect on these walls made by people, you know, who mm. are arranging it for the sake of whatever they're doing yeah. it for. <laughs> and there's another game actually that is similar to that, um, and that's Second Life, which mm. we're not going to talk about in too much detail, but. I actually draw more parallels to EVE Online and Second Life than I do to some of the other MMOs yeah, for on sure. this list. because more I player think, driven. Yeah, they share a lot of things. And there's there's other sort of Second Life style um, games as well. There was, there's another one that People Make Games did a video about, which I'll, if I remember, I'll link to it, um, about another M- sort of MMO style game that has a lot of like real world, like is very closely tied to real world currency. And it's really mm. kind of interesting. Um all of the games that we've talked about so far are very firmly PC games. Yes, you know, sometimes yeah. they have mobile spin-offs, but that's really more of a current thing rather than when they were launched. A big thing and, for that, of course, is the fact that PCs were the only ones who were able to connect to the internet at this point. Right. You didn't really have consoles connecting to the internet at this point, and you still didn't for quite a long time. But one console MMO that is from around this time is Fantasy Star Online, mm. which came out originally on the Dreamcast in in end of two end of uh, two thousand December yep. two thousand, and you you know you had to get like a Dreamcast modem or whatever you know like none of these things had um, built in. There was no networking know, no. at this stage in people's homes, like so it was always separate modems for your consoles, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. And yeah, like this was kind of like the 
it was this was Sega, right? Like Fantasy Star Online was was made by Sega. Um, I don't really know a huge amount about it, but I just the fact that it's interesting because and noteworthy because it was a console. Basically, yeah, like the game itself was kind of whatever. Like it was Mm. kind of like a fairly standard third person dungeon crawling RPG of the day, Um, but obviously the big difference is that it was online on a console you know like the fact that you could go online and play with your friends and you could even chat with them with like the dreamcast specific keyboard you could buy you know um (laughs) this is so this is so japanese right so eastern in the sense that like the barrier to entry the cost barrier to entry is so high (laughs) you know you need the console you need the modem you need the keyboard you need the game oh and you need a subscription yeah like all of those things absolutely all of those things and then you could play a relatively mediocre dungeon crawler with some friends rather than having them come over to your house and play any of the better ones locally a new Um, one is coming out soon right like there's a like fantasy star as a as a like um ip is still a thing it's still Um, pretty active actually yeah the fantasy star online ip is still fairly active this particular Mm. one obviously is definitely not yes um although i'm pretty sure the netcode is available somewhere for people to kind of play private versions of but yeah like it's it's spawned a fairly successful you know empire of games as it were um Mm. which are obviously far more accessible now because you know all modern consoles have networking built in yeah. and, and you know internet as it is but at the time i think the game itself will not be not very interesting that the tech behind getting it working to begin with was very important mm-hmm. and it was certainly one of the first move forwards for game game consoles going online mm-hmm. beyond just yeah. simply connecting to like a lan like the original xbox had the ability to go online somewhat Yes, it but again, is. it was it was still quite limited. It was only at the end of its life that you sort of had the Xbox Live service. Yes, and it wasn't really until sort of the PS3 and Xbox 360 era where you saw sort of like fairly consistent online play. Yeah, and yet this is almost two generations back. Yeah, you know, because this is at the beginning of this generation. You know, uh, 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 Dreamcast was sort of like very late PlayStation One days. You know, like yeah, early PS2 days, and definitely before the GameCube. You know, mm. so it's almost two generations prior and yet they were yeah. going online. That, that's impressive. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the games that we've talked about here have one of the things that has been really kind of core to them is that you have it's it's a very shared world. Yeah. Uh, and also it was pretty well established at this point that an MMO had a subscription because mm-hmm. it was they were expensive to make. They were expe- expensive to maintain. And so there was this kind of expectation that you would pay a monthly fee for them you know so yes okay runescape had a slightly you know had a free option but ragnarok online eve online you know fantasy star online wow they all have online in the name um (laughs) you know they all required subscriptions yeah um but then in 2005 yeah um ncsoft released guild wars Mm -hmm. now ncsoft are really interesting because they have serious MMO prestige. When we talk about this West versus East, we're almost talking about West versus NCSoft. Not far off, yeah. <laughs> because in the early days, late 90s, they made uh, Lineage in 1999, which was their kind of like Ultima Online mm-hmm. competitor, which we've not talked about Ultima, but that was fairly pinnacle in those late 90s for MMOs. Um, and it was wildly successful um, in the East and also in the West. Uh, and, you know, really sort of like cemented that kind of like korean eastern style mmo um so for them to come out with guild wars 
they are an innovator in the genre, right? They also make a lot of crap games, but they well, they, they make a lot of well. games that definitely appeal to that segment of the player right. base, right? Um, and that's sort of where one of the last bastions of more traditional MMOs still exist mm. um, is within those style of games. Yeah, but I'd say Guild Wars probably began those style of games in a lot of ways, and mm. they, it, it has a, a very important legacy to it. Yeah, it was. First of all, it was good and it was very well received. <laughs> um, but but key, given that this is a year after World of Warcraft came out, um, which we've not talked about, it's kind of the elephant in the room, but we talked yeah, about yeah. kind of throughout all of this. Um, but Guild Wars had no subscription fee, mm-hmm. which was a which was a big deal, and they kind of achieved it by having lots and lots of instancing. So mm. that's where, yes, in some of the areas you were with other players but in others you weren't you were only with your party so when you went out into the world questing or whatever you were actually playing on your own or with a party and that really helps from a from a like maintenance point of cost, view yeah. and an infrastructure point of view um and so this was it was a lot more casual as well than world of warcraft uh, even though world of warcraft itself was more casual than mmos before it like mm. everquest and things like that what's really interesting about guild wars and we'll sort of we'll talk about this in in more detail is that I kind of think that this was really the foundation for what we now sort of know as kind of live service games. Yeah, definitely. So things like Destiny and Anthem and The Division and and our favourite Elite Dangerous, (laughs) in that at this point you start to ask the question, is this an MMORPG or not? Mm. Um, Because, and that was actually, I remember Guild Wars in a way, although it was well received, it had a lot of sort of... I guess sort of like people looking down on it a bit is what I remember at the time. This is baby's first MMO. Yeah, because, this is because not it wasn't what really my MMO. MMO is, yeah. People were like, this is not an MMO. It's not, you're not, you can't see everyone all the time. It's, mm. it's cheating. It's it's not, it's a pretend MMO. But um, their logic would have been obviously, yeah, but it's a fun game to play with friends and it's still equally right. accessible. Why do you need to see Noob Master 3000 jumping up and down on top of an NPC's head while you're trying to do something? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and I think it sort of highlights both WoW and Guild Wars in a way highlights that at this point you get to like what was making MMOs successful now was that they had to be a good game. Yeah. Because at this point, you know, mid 2000s, from a consumer point of view, the technology was solved in that, you know, there was World of Warcraft, which was, you know, like everything about the online kind of worked well you know there wasn't that kind of jank that we talked about with things like ragnarok or runescape Mm -hmm. you know where there's sort of weird quirks like it was a it was polished right and so the expectation the bar was now so much higher it expected to be as good as a single player experience whilst also being online now and the online was mostly solved as well by this point yeah exactly exactly so that's sort of why i think guild wars is is particularly um interesting and it's also interesting that really that's kind of where like the the games that define the genre in 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 my opinion or in our opinion I guess kind of ends mm. right that the only remaining sort of really chunky core MMORPG that we don't really need to talk about is Final Fantasy 14 yeah. which was in 2010 and then it was re-released in 2013 and that's sort of a very similar to World of Warcraft style sort of core MMO um but at this point it's because the genre in a way is kind of done yeah uh, like mmorpgs are, are, are kind of like things being massively multiplayer online as a core feature is is done because yeah. we expect that from every game basically yeah nowadays if you play a game and 
it has online capability, chances are you're expecting it to be always online capability. You know, if, you know? if Destiny came out in in the early 2000s, we would have called it an MMORPG. Yeah, 100%, without question. You know, question. a first-person MMORPG yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, because 100%. Like Planet you have, Side or like, something. central areas. Yeah, okay, it's not an open world, which was kind of a theme, but Guild Wars was already blurring the boundary there with, with sort of open world versus not. And... You know, it, it, it basically is. Uh, and and things like Elite Dangerous, you yeah. know, where like it's one open world. Warframe, but another one. Warframe is a good one. Very good example. You know, it, it really, we've now reached a point where the the genre is, is really just sort of fractious, you mm. know, and it's really kind of like there's so many, it's not really that there's subgenres. You know, when we talked about platforming, I think we talked about in a previous episode, we talked about how this sort of, it became this thing that had just so many different genres to it. And I think with MMORPGs, it's more that it's not really a genre anymore. It's just been absorbed um, into the rest of the gaming landscape as, yeah. as as another element of other games now. Which is just really, really interesting. Mm. You know, like a lot of the core mechanics that you see in many different games now have come from MMOs. You I mean, know, look at something like Monster aspect. Hunter, for example. Like Monster yeah. Hunter is kind of like the, the best bits of the dungeon raiding side of MMOs, but put into a, a more traditional multiplayer game exactly exactly and it's it's interesting how there's there are still a few games that try to cling to that original style of mmos things like final fantasy 14 have done a good job of it but you still see things like like black desert online for example mm. uh, and other similar style korean mmos yes which are still trying to have that same sort of older feel to them and I just don't think they work as well anymore because you're not wowed by, hey, pardon the pun, um, it wasn't even intentional, um, <laughs> by that same sort of, my God, my friends are here too and I can you know, do whatever I want because it's just sort of expected now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow kind of really made it that you, an MMO had to be a really good game yeah. as well as being online. And before that, I think a lot of things could be forgiven because of the sort of not novelty factor, but it is kind of the novelty factor. Yeah, I you think know. it definitely is. And the social element of things makes things a huge difference. Like if you weren't able to say socially interact with people, say on like RO, for example, I certainly wouldn't have played it as much as I would have done because mm. that was definitely why I kept coming back to it was the social element and the game element was just enjoyable to have around it. Mm. Um, we've had this similar score to conversation. We've talked about lockdown games in the sense that like mm. gaming is often used as a social lubricant for people to just simply enjoy and spend time with people. And these are sort of like the ultimate form of that in that they are yeah. themselves a social environment. And it's interesting, actually. Yeah. When we talked about lockdown games and like you say, you know, gaming being this sort of social lubricant or like a way to kind of socialize with people in these late 90s, early 2000s, as a gamer, one of the best ways to have that social, strong kind of social element was MMOs. Mm. You know, we hadn't got things like social media, no. um, you know, sites like Reddit and Dig and things like that were sort of in early stages. Um, you didn't have Discord. It's you know, pre-web like, 2.0, really, isn't yeah, it? Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, it was your primary option. And so it's no wonder that people especially once they got into it really stuck around yeah. because actually it was and like they were the willing way you to could... pay that that subscription fee yeah. you know it's why games like second life did so well mm. even outside of the traditional gaming market because it offered that social media mm. fix before social right. media was a thing exactly exactly so that's and that's why again coming back to our point that sort of the genre is is in, in inverted commas done is that 
that is now interwoven in so many other places mm, mm. that you don't really need MMORPGs as a thing to achieve that for you. Nice. I think that rounds up our MMO discussion quite nicely. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's in a really interesting genre, which has had a huge impact on the gaming landscape as a whole. Mm, mm. Uh, and is mostly done but its effects are still being felt even to this day um there's a lot of games we didn't mention um there's lots of games we sort of mentioned in passing while talking about Mm -hmm. other games like we we never really specifically talked about wow like you say but we mentioned it plenty of times um (laughs) you know things like ultima online and everquest we mentioned in passing and they are very important games in this Mm. genre but again we maybe didn't feel they they defined the genre necessarily it was other games that did that for them plus we also just don't know as much about them from a personal point of view so talking about them mm. would be a little bit more speculative yeah. but yeah i'm sure we've we've missed your favorite games like i know we've missed a lot of like the post wow series of games you know yeah um, like for example we didn't talk about like star wars galaxies or star wars the old republic and things like yep. that you know or city of heroes and and, mm. and all those sorts of games so if you've missed anything out that you think we definitely should have mentioned that to find an element of the genre do let us know get in touch and maybe we can cover some of those on a soundbite episode or something yeah absolutely let us know send us an email show at octal.fm or a tweet at octal.fm on the twitters uh, or facebook facebook.com forward slash octal.fm yeah like and we will probably talk about some of those again in future uh, i think we'll probably end up talking also about some of the other elements of like communication and mm. the way in which we use games as a, as a social element of things again like we mentioned mm. we maybe even do a history episode in the way in which the internet was formed around these sorts of things like with muds for example that's a that's a wonderful topic yeah, of muds, conversation. Is, muds is a really interesting topic yeah. i'd love to talk about um, at some point but until then i've been Seferin. And I've been Gelada. And catch us again for another Octal FM very soon. <laughs>